This episode of Everything Hurts is brought to you by our friends at Prolific, who are building the most trusted platform for online sampling. Get $50 worth of Prolific credit for just $1 by visiting prolific.co forward slash everything hurts. If you think that social media is somehow worse than heroin for teenage girls, I defy you to take away your child's Instagram and give them heroin. Welcome to Everything Hurts, uh, Insomnia Edition. My name is Dan Quintana from the University of Oslo, and I'm here with James Heathers from Northeastern University. James, it's been a while since we've chatted. How are things? Mm. Oh, yeah. Just another day in paradise, man. In our new indoor reality. Beautiful weather outside. Blackbirds inside. Same as everyone else, basically. Yeah. How are you? I <laughs> our our daughter is now is now two weeks old, so the uh, the, the sleep is at a minimum. And uh, look, it's it's one of those things that it's it's a little bit better because you've got a bit of experience. You're not terrified that you're going to break the child by picking them by picking them up. But at the same time, now there's two of them. There's there's, there's a two year old running around and also a newborn. But uh, yeah, what what if you what if you tie them together? <laughs> <laughs> well, the two-year-old is is in love with the baby, so that, that, that that's almost gonna. Uh, oh, that's nice. It's man. good. It's good. She's so it's your good tiny little daughter who's like all about your other tiny. It's little great. Daughter. We're all on the same team. That's quite. It's very. That's quite sweet. It is. It is, it is very oh. sweet. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 been it's been it's been a great uh, a fun a fun two weeks and uh, yeah. Well. My sh- my shitty brother that's two years older than me got the got the hump with me almost immediately for stealing all the attention and um. Yeah, there's all these stories from my childhood about my brother basically going ah. Who's this guy? Okay. Yep. Time to give him back. Yeah. <laughs> we we we're done here. Wow. I, I want to talk about this uh, a, a new preprint which uh, which came out about a week or two ago and uh, and this, well, this I know you're tired because you didn't segue no I know exactly just like, oh, I want to talk about I'll, this preprint I want to I want to get straight into it and this is an interesting one and, and it's titled psychological science is not yet a crisis ready discipline and uh, it includes two two of the co-authors uh, uh, two former guests uh, Lisa De Bruyne and Samin Vizier and there's uh, I think it's about ten, 10, 12 authors. And this is this is a, a really interesting study, which a really interesting paper, sorry, which covers a lot of the stuff that we've been discussing um, over over the past few episodes. And this really gets at the idea that um, look, we may not actually have the tools to address the crisis in ways we think we can. I think it's also important to to to, to say from the get-go that of course clinical psychology has a role a role to play in the crisis. Um, of, you know, th- there's no doubt that um, that certain psych- psych- psychiatric disorders will be increasing, uh, alcohol dependence, that's for sure, um, anxiety, and it will be exacerbating a lot of uh, a, a lot of uh, a lot of um, a lot of issues that are already going on. And clinical psychology, yeah, but at the, and at the same at the same time, an awful lot of how that's understood in psychology and uh, psychiatry. Um, either from a prescribing or a therapeutic or a group therapeutic standpoint. It's it's all been busted to shit for the very obvious reasons that people can't be in the same place together. Sure. 
Um, I had a I had a regular health medical checkup scheduled recently, which was pushed back two months, and now has been pushed back three months. All right. Do is um all they're going to do is, is take my blood pressure and poke me with a spoon and then charge me no money for <laughs> preventative health care and then conclude the fact that I should drink slightly less beer and try not to be an asshole in the consultation. Um, but look, even even that. So imagine imagine you're having a mental health crisis and that's the shit that's going yeah. on. You know? Yeah. I'm not having any more of a mental health crisis than anyone else, but there obviously are people. Their needs have not gone away simply because they're locked in their house. For many people, that'll be the source of fucking problem. Yeah, and even in a more practical sense, like oncologists are getting really worried because a lot of people who would normally, you know, oh, there's a bit of a lump here, I should get it checked out, are now staying away. Mm. Um, so there's, there's going to be so yeah. many other health issues. Uh, so look. Likewise, what, what, fucking chest pain? Oh, I've got a little bit of grippy grippy in my chest. Oh, I've got a little bit of a, a left arm. The left arm's going yep. a little bit sore. Yep. Should I go and see the cardiologist? No, they work at the plague pit. I don't want to go and see the fucking cardiologist. I want to stay in my house and continue to drink whiskey from a sippy cup and hope that it all goes away. And then you have a heart attack the size of God's fist and all of a sudden you're fucked. So, yeah, there's 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 a whole new vista of the reorganization of healthcare mm. and telemedicine and that very obviously pushes over into other forms of clinical care like clinical psychology. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, this is our collective brave new world, but I felt that was important to expand on. We have clinical listeners who yell at <laughs> me in particular um, because they know they can yell at me, you're too nice or too bold. Or something. <laughs> I, I, I get that um, yelling. Uh, but, look, it, it, this is um, – they, they, they say in the introduction that at least 75 manuscripts have – I thought that was a lowball estimate. 75 manuscripts have focused on the psychological di- uh, dimensions of COVID-19, which I'm sure will mm. be uh, a lot more since since publication. And the, the authors are, are really asking the question of whether uh, psychological science is crisis ready. And they did something really interesting, which I like, is they looked at a different mm. discipline to see can we apply a tool or, or, or a framework – and they went with rocket science, and I like this. And they talk about this framework from rocket science called the technology readiness levels, which go from one mm. to nine. And there's a really cool graphic that you should check out. And of course, we will post a link uh, to this preprint. And they look, they use this framework as a way of saying, okay, how does this actually track when we when we're, when we're applying um, psychological science? And the conclusion is not very well. Mm, yeah, but you, 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 you're, you're drawing with a broad brush there, Daniel. Your little finger painting, I'm, 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 which doesn't require a, <laughs> doesn't require a brush, James. Don't mix metaphors. Shit. Um, this this is, I feel, a, a lot of it is about social intervention. That's from social psychology, hmm. right? I mean, there's, there's an awful lot of psychological science that's not designed to help anyone. It's designed to understand how people work. The helping anyone, if it ever comes at all, will happen much later than that, you know? Various, uh, various areas of uh, cognitive psychophysics, um, some physiology, um, the vast majority of, uh, of the, 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 the more well-established sub-disciplines are about how people work, 
not how to help them. Sure. So the focus, the focus of this is on the idea of a social intervention. Tell me if you think this is fair to say. I could have paid more attention to this like everyone else. I'm somewhat busy right now. The plague will do that to you. So it feels like social interventions on the basis of social psychological research. Yeah, like like your nudges, the so-called nudge units, that kind of stuff. Right, yes, yes. Can, Um, Can we nudge people to... Take, make better choices, etc. Mm, okay, so you also didn't tell people where technology readiness levels, um, what they represent between one and nine. This is a NASA thing from a million years ago, right? It's how they understand, considering that your eventual task is space flight. Mm-hmm. It's how they understand the safety and efficacy profile of something through its course of development such that it won't send astronauts into fiery cinders somewhere. Yep. And progresses from this is a nice idea to this works in a lab to this works as a proof of concept to this works in a kind of mimicked or pseudo environment, right? So maybe a training spacewalk in a swimming pool or something like that. You can actually use the fucking outside welder or whatever it is, um, followed by um, various other forms of, um, uh, uh, I suppose, like stress testing, followed by eventually by deployment. Now, mm. That's not an accurate. That's, that's, not that's accurate pretty good summary. Levels, but okay. So there's also there's strata of we can put basically we can put this on a rocket. It's more than just a good idea, and down the bottom, wouldn't that be fun if? Mm. Uh, kind of the three strata. Now, according to this paper, where do our nudgy nudges fall, Well, Daniel, as a level or a strata? One. The majority fall. Oh, <laughs> one. So the authors yeah, have right. put, the And author- it's not like DEFCON. No. <laughs> one's not the, the real <laughs> one, is, one is One's bad. the shit end. <laughs> one is bad. And, and they've put together, of course, they've, they've noted the, um, the NASA steps, but they've also put, adver- uh, they've put together a version for psychological science where one is define the problems in collaboration with stakeholders. That's a, that's a sensible place to start. All the way mm. up to nine, which is use the solution to successfully address a crisis situation, um, and the argument in this paper is that um, look, th- this is this paper is largely a response to a paper which was recently published in Nature Human Behavior, um, which was summarizing um, a lot of the ways that psychological science can can address the crisis. And this paper was more or less a response, going, "Hang on a minute, um, I don't think we're quite there yet in a majority of cases." I want to bring up a response. Um, Former, former guest uh, Ricard Carlson had um, had a nice a nice little thread uh, which was addressing this. I'm going to read it verbatim because it's it's quite good. And he says everything that's wrong with social psychology in one paper, and he's referring to the Nature and Behavior paper. And he's saying medicine has Cochrane reviews. Uh, Cochrane reviews are extremely comprehensive. Um, I always find it funny when people say, I'm just going to do a meta-analysis, um, just as if it's something you just kind of, you know, you, you do on the weekend for a laugh. Uh, a very comprehensive Cochrane review 
is ridiculously time intensive. Okay, so he says medicine has has Cochrane reviews. We get this: a number of experts citing studies. Nothing has ever motivated me more towards improving psychology than reading this. Then Ricard goes through um, and um, and he concludes: Is it ethical to write a review like this during a pandemic? I don't think it is. We know that our science isn't crisis ready. Referring to the crisis ready preprint, and in short, the argument is: Okay, so. We've got this paper, which is saying a lot of stuff, but it's not necessarily done in a systematic fashion. And is all the stuff or all the ways that we could potentially re- um, address the crisis actually based in evidence? So, yeah, that that was yeah, that was uh, that, that was really interesting from from regard. Do you think he's right? I think everything falls on a continuum. Some stuff has more evidence than others, whereas other look. Cool. Go on. What's an example of something that has good evidence? Uh, okay. So, well, in the context of, of, of sort of a, a crisis, uh, for instance, how we deal with just basic perception of getting information in. How do you remember that 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 absolute um, the, the the new messaging from the from the British government? What's that new thing? Stay alert. Watch out for the virus, that, that new signage they had. We know there are certain ways that we can actually present information that people are more likely to take in. That is psychology, essentially. How can we transmit information most effectively? And what are people how are people going to understand these things? I think that's one very small part of psychology. That's one part of on. that's one part of that's one small part of psychology. And that is a way um, if governments want to say, let let's improve the health outcomes as a result of the pandemic, they can chat to some perceptual psychologists going, how do we put our messaging together so people actually understand information better? I would say there are some pretty solid principles there. Would you agree? You don't seem- You're, like, do, do principles exist by which we can measure things like linguistic units or colours or the amount of individual points given to someone and see whether or not the message sticks. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, like psychology crossing over into marketing. Well, it's it's um, has been has been looking at questions surrounding that for I don't know fifty sixty years. I remember uh, reading shit on that from the sixties and seventies as an undergrad. Yeah. It's that's fairly well established. I, I, we we know the ways to do that. So I would say in terms of psychology, yeah, that is that that would be higher up on these in the, in these levels. Um, but there are other things like um, how are we gonna how are we gonna nudge people to change their behaviours? Those things might be a, a little bit a little bit more shaky. Um, so okay, now hang on, hang on. Wasn't the problem with nudge theory? Was the, hang let me rephrase. Was the problem with nudge theory the fact? that it was done by morons and then popularised in a way whereas it was revealed to be ineffective due to the moronicity of the people who ran it? Or was all the theory horseshit in the first place? Uh, I don't don't know know. much about this. I do know it did terribly. Mm, I don't know. As, As a broad platform for setting policy about how do we alter people's behaviour on a macro level in favour of having a functioning society. Mm-hmm. My impression is that it did terribly. Yeah, I don't know why, but was it, that a that's failure right. of implementation or a failure of theory? I think it was a failure of theory because a lot of governments put a lot of money into doing this. So it's not the fact that they didn't actually implement it properly. I think it's because the theory was a bit bunk. That is from what I understand. 
but all, the, mm, all but all that okay. to but all that to say, I think there is a range of uh, when it comes to the evidence towards these things. But look, one thing I want to do talk about is in terms of these reviews, some journals make it very clear this is an opinion. This is an opinion piece. And when you actually look at the instructions for authors, they say opinion pieces don't need to be done in a systematic way because often these are talking about uh, fields which are a bit earlier um, in their evolution, whereas other things, whereas a review quite often has to be done in a systematic way. So, mm. but some journals- And a meta-analysis is a codified systematic way into which you review the available evidence except it's more quantitative. Exactly. And that brings the- that, that brings- so people will go, oh yeah, it, it's important that we have these opinions. But the thing is, if your field isn't established enough and isn't at the point where you can actually do a systematic review, what are you <laughs> what are you really talking about? A lot of your stuff is speculation and this is getting around that level one, level two stuff going, hey, there may be something here. Let's start talking to some stakeholders. Let, let, let's start talking to some people um and um and then and then maybe we can we can improve some stuff a thought occurs daniel well, can you answer a thought for me yeah i'll give it a go uh, my experience with research in the formal sense into social psychology would lead me to believe that people who do that are very much not focused on taking the center of their research, the phenomena that they're interested in, and turning it into something that is essentially akin to, if not exactly, a public health intervention or a policy platform or something like that. So you're that. saying that's not their motivation? They're not thinking about this? It's my experience that they're not. It's my experience that they're putting ideas in order because they think they'll prove to be useful. And the idea of bossing it into a format, let's say you, you come up with some, uh, well, let me, let me put it this way. Say what you like about Brian Wansink, and obviously I have. When he came up with a codified theory on vegetables, he went to the government and asked for a very large amount of money to be able to put the vegetables into children, according to a program. Now, that was a behavioral science-born set of interventions. And the like for that program in particular, he was looking at, oh, let's give the carrots a funny name. Let's put all the healthy stuff first at the front of a lunch queue. There were all of these things that were about primacy and immediacy mm. and association. And he had a series of ideas which were shit and facile. But he did have the courage of his convictions to ask the USDA for an astonishing amount of money to actually go to schools and redo their lunchrooms according to the psychological principles and then see whether or not that made a difference to whether or not you have to administer more carrots per child. If it worked, it would have been brilliant. So you say what you like about him, but I, th I think in a very important way that makes him not a coward. He did believe, um, and he was interested in the. He was, I think, he was interested in moving up the technology readiness levels. Mm. I think, I think he was interested in doing that. Um, unfortunately, he couldn't add. Um, jump, jump, jump a to few steps. Of problems. You, well, yeah, 
But at the same point, what I mean is that I, there was, in that case, there was a commitment to turning the basic, silly, ha-ha, spaceman, carrots, laboratory, horseshit into social intervention and see whether or not it worked. Now, whether or not it worked, I think he would have uh, found a way to analyze it by which it could be represented as working, if you catch me drift. Um, but I wonder how often social psychologists see themselves as doing that. Mm. And I don't think a lot of them have a leg to stand on when it comes to, I've found out a lot about how people work. I'm going to use the knowledge of how people work to form something that exists in civic, political, etc. life that helps people. Doesn't seem too common. Well, in some areas, it's completely fucking inevitable. There's no point doing drug development if it doesn't get stuck in people. Yeah. There's no point developing new that, that, that's the natural if you don't use them to repair people. There's no point starting uh, intervention programs or food stamp programs or whatever else if you're not going to deploy this policy and try and see whether or not it helps people. So I wonder if there's a sense where people who are in that area are burned out on theories that are potentially more grandiose than they would ever need to be. About endless endless debates about angels and pinheads being more of a typical description than we have great answers to how macro behavior occurs socially. Let's try and manipulate that to make life better for people. And maybe this is someone writing angrily to us right now because they've thought of a particularly good counterexample and that makes me mean. But I do wonder how often that happens. And you'd think I'd be able it's not to obvious. immediate you think I'd be able to immediately recall an example, as would you. That was something that happened all the time. So I mean obviously I think obviously I think there's a point that needs to be made there. And that, you know, a series of 150 blanket associations about how some shit is related to some other shit in some paper by someone. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a statement on how we interfere with civic life. It's a statement on what happened in a paper. I mean, if I had more, if I had more faith in it, I, I probably wouldn't have stopped studying it. It's frequently being discussed how we keep data that we get from people on the internet to be accurate. Are they getting paid properly? Is the sample representative? Are they actually filling out the questions properly? The answer to this and many more questions is, well, they are if they're from prolific.co. Go to prolific.co slash everything hurts and get $50 worth of free credit to recruit participants online to answer questions for you so you can do science. Welcome back to Everything Hurts. Um, James, uh, potatoes are back 
on uh, back on people's lips, would you believe? Oh, potatoes are back on the menu. There was a great article a couple of weeks ago where Belgians were being asked to eat fries three times oh, a week that. or something yeah. to, deal, to deal with the national potato stockpile. Now, we <laughs> often reserve first world problems for things like, oh, no, I can't understand my new cleaner's accent <laughs> or... The 2016 Nissan Altima I wanted to buy isn't available in my color, all of which, if you think are serious problems with your life, I think you should probably have one of your legs broken so you have something to compare it to. But, oh, shit, we have too many potatoes. The Belgiums. On a, on, on a kind of a national level, is that's like a national first world problem. It's almost admirable in a way. The thing that I could never understand when it came to that particular news story is having been to Belgium more than once, those motherfuckers already eat a lot yeah. of potatoes. An alarming amount of spuds, man. I mean, they will, they will, you, 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 you remember that old Eddie Izzard bit? It's like, uh, cause they have champagne all the time and English people think it's for special occasions and French people think it just exists. Just, uh... You know, you have walked into a shop champagne. That's what Belgians are like with potatoes. I ate more fucking potatoes than I did in a week in Belgium the last time I was there and I had in the previous three months. They, they turned up a lot. Shout out to the Belgian, the uh, Belgian Hertzies. The, the, oh, I had a tremendous amount of, uh, uh, man, the um, one particular bar uh, in Brussels um, by the, uh, what's the brewery that makes delirium tremens? They own this bar. It's the I Delirium Tremens bar. Um, this bar, when I was there, they had eight separate McKellar single hops on tap at the same time. Um, and it was one of the great beer learning experiences of my life because McKellar made one single beer and then they did a single hopping with one specific hop in every single beer. And if you did what I did, which is immediately bought all eight, which was a very bad decision. Um, because they're quite strong, and I so it, wasn't like a, it wasn't like a testing <laughs> flight. It was an actual. It was it was scanners, whatever, whatever, whatever they small normal glasses of beer. Now I had a friend with me, but that didn't help because after we had all eight beers, and we were very bullish on talking about it and very loud, uh, and we'd met some very nice Belgian people who were curious about why we were so loud and rude and where we were from. Um, that devolved. I have no idea how we got back to the hotel. Um, I have really good drunk feet. I don't think I've ever told drunk you feet? that. Drunk feet? Yeah. If I drink, uh, if I drink half a bottle of whiskey and, and then smoke an entire bag of synthetic toad skins, get into a fight with a bush, um, and then don't know where I am in a city I've never been to before, my feet will find their own way to the hotel, and I will wake up in the bed with the just there, wow! You can, you can fight your way. Oh, we were once having a few drinks. We were once having a few drinks, and uh, we, we, were, we were debating about. Um, we, there was a, there was a map up on the wall, and we were debating as to when the map was made because a lot of the countries that were there didn't actually exist. And we, we had a few beers. We were getting pretty loud, and the table next door started interjecting, going, "No, you're wrong." Um, this this is why. And we're like, why should we trust you? They're like, yeah, we're out for drinks. We're from the Norwegian Mapping Authority. <laughs> and, and, they, and, and they schooled us and they told us, like, they basically told us the year it was made, the town it was made in based on the style of the map. Um, so, yeah, we, and then we had it. We, we were talking about maps with the people, with the Mapping Authority, and it, it, it was amazing. I'm like, 
what is there to map? What changes? But um, there's there's a, there's a lot of stuff there. Rivers. Well, technically, technically, Dan, if you believe that a coastline is infinite, then there's presumably a great deal to map when you change scales. Yeah, and and that's the coastlines is their is their bread and butter. They're they're just they're just mad about coastlines. But we're not here to talk about maps and coastlines. We're here to talk about no. We're pa- here potatoes. to talk about potatoes. Potatoes. And we um uh, speaking thinking of potatoes. We had uh, Amy Auburn was uh, was a guest. Um, I think in the seventies or eighties. And uh, and one one of the main outcomes from from her not the year the, the episode, episode that's number. correct the episode number. And uh, one of the main outcomes from her from her study um was that um. Uh, essentially, screen time has the same sort of effects on mental uh, on mental health later in life as the consumption of potatoes, and that that was a nice headline to kind of demonstrate um, a, a lot of the um, a lot of the uh, unwarranted scare campaigns that go out from these moral entrepreneurs, which is a great term. That uh, I don't know if she coined it, but she was the first person to to, to, to mention it, and uh, I think she it's great. She certainly was the first person who introduced it to me. Yeah. So let's pretend she, she came, came up, up with a moral entrepreneur. But now, in response to um uh to this to this paper, um some of the people who have been at the forefront of scaring um parents into that um that screens going to kill their kitties, um Jean Twing. Is that how, is that how you pronounce her name, James? I'm not I'm not very I'm not too sure. Um Jonathan Haidt as well. Um Haidt, I'm not sure. Another another Quintana mispronunciation. Um have have come out to 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 reanalyze this paper and um and and they've come out with the with the conclusion <laughs> that um for teen girls uh screen time use is worse than heroin gee <laughs> a, a heroin wow this this was just <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's not as funny as it sounds. And it, Heroin uh, is not funny, it, but it, the, the outcome it is. Some, it belies some other. It belies a, a, like a, a further seriousness. The, the the look. Here's the thing. When you choose to frame something like this, regardless of what you found statistically, regardless of what you think it represents, when you choose that as a frame, and you think that's a serious argument to make. That says a great deal about how you choose to understand evidence and argument and how information is kind of transferred between working groups. It says something about Mm. you. I'll tell you what this paper is to me, how I think about this. This is Bem the Second. Mm, okay. This is BEM two, Return of the Daryl. <laughs> Return of the Daza. And I'll tell and I'll tell you why. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, to be quite honest. But you know, international. Yeah, we, have to, we have to. We have to. We have to beyond beyond. Return of the the Daza. I don't need a whole group of poor benighted Germans googling what. what is what's a Daza? A <laughs> um, it is the Australian contraction of Darren, something that has as many syllables as Darren, thereby making it pointless like most Australian contractions. Right. BEM is remembered as a tremendously consequential paper. Mm. And this is a paper called Feeling the Future. Uh, it is about precognition, the ability to know something before you know it. It is conducted according to 
a series of very probably dodgy uh, parapsychological analyses. Um, uh, the experiments were aggregated over a long period of time. They were conducted according to the correct procedures of psychology at the time, or whatever the editor probably said when people asked for it to be retracted. And essentially it said that magic was real. This will be about nine years yep. ago. Now, the problem with magic being real is that it fucking isn't. Right? So when you say, according to the strictures and analytical conventions of this field, I have come to the conclusion that magic is real, and you know that it fucking isn't, it calls people to call into question the substrate via which you have grown that conclusion. And for a lot of people, this is regarded as the spiritual jumping-off point of many, many people within the social sciences into methodological skepticism. Because he said, according to the normal ways that we do normal research, which is all normal, I've just figured out that everyone's a fucking psychic. Obviously, the conclusion by itself is pretty ridiculous. Mm. And it calls you to reevaluate what happened in the paper. Now, there is a lot of detail that has happened within a series of academic papers that exist behind the result that you're talking about, which is, I think, from a reanalysis of a bunch of uh, how. How much does a, basically this is a measure of either the variance explained or the effect size or something similar? Mm. How that affects a certain class of people. Now, when heroin and social media use are in the same sentence, let alone, let alone you have the audacity to say, Social media is worse. This means a lot of things, but we'll get to those in a second. The first thing is that it may not be a full and accurate accounting or treatment of this paper, but it's the frame that it seems like the authors have chosen to discuss the paper through. It's a central claim to the claim that was made put into the public willingly. Mm -hmm. That's a chosen framework. It's not something that has been cherry-picked out of a raft of more reasonable, broader assertions. That's how they've chosen to represent their work. In terms of press releases and Twitter? It, it's, it, everything that I've seen grabs from the mm. paper, uh, the abstract from memory, I think Twitter as well. Like that's that's a frame, that's a chosen frame. The same way Bem chose magic, they've chosen heroin. Now, if you know anything at all about heroin, anything at all about statistics, this is really obviously a disgusting car crash of analytical failure. Because 
Opiates are extraordinarily dangerous. Have you known a lot of people who were addicted to heroin, Dan? Have you got a lot of junkies in your life? You feel like the kind of person who'd say no <laughs> to that. Uh, I've, I've done a lot of research with, uh, with, with heavy addictions, but not, not, not personally, no. So you do understand it, though. I mean, actually, you do actually drug and alcohol. A long time, um, not anymore, a long, a long time ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drug and, drug and alcohol was a, uh, it was a focus yeah. of yours for yeah, a yeah. while. How would you characterize heroin usage as a risky behavior? I mean. <laughs> what would you say it represented for someone? I mean, it, it, it dominates your life or do- it dominates these people's lives. And uh, it it completely just in in most cases it completely destroys all personal relationships, work relationships, education, the whole thing. Mm. It's uh, it's it's a it's a wrecking ball. Heroin's one of the very few things that I think are genuinely scary. Um, the Sydney that I grew up in had a lot of heroin. Um, uh, it was being it was being made uh, primarily coming in from Vietnam at the time, I think, or at least the Five T were bringing it in, um, and it made its way around a lot. I mean, I was a fairly middle class kind of child, but you go places within the you city, see it around, you see around. Needles yeah. in the you see needles in the street. You see junkies nodding off at bus stops. You hear stories, and then you get older, and you meet people who graduate from club drugs to opiates, and you talk to people who have dangerous habits, and you meet people who have hepatitis. You have to understand also that I was in a death metal band for quite a while, and I've never been known for my rigorous personal hygiene. I don't really have a... Uh, a problem with generally scruffy places for obvious reasons. Just happened to be a fairly scruffy person. A lot of people who are like I've met people who like people with like broken teeth, bar fights, criminal records, who are terrified of heroin yeah. because they've seen what it's done to people around them. It's this weird force of nature that can completely rewire a personality baseball bat style from scratch. It's scary. Super scary. So when you think that even even if this is fully justified by the methods involved, when you think that this is an appropriate thing to say, you either know nothing about heroin or you know nothing about the kind of statistical environment in which you're making the decision about competing harms between fucking Instagram and junk. So it feels like a conclusion that's so strenuously, laughably inappropriate that it should immediately engender a total loss of confidence in how it was calculated. Yeah. Now, the problem is, I think there's probably four or five different papers and analyses in a a field that I'm unfamiliar with that are stuck back to back here. But that's what's come out the other side? Really? You're even talking about competing harms here? I mean, what is it? Is it small sample bias going through uh, uh, certain types of analyses that are liable to wreck everything if your proportions are way off? 
I'm not even capable of fully articulating what I think has gone wrong with the analysis. But if you get that result, and instead of thinking, hang on a second, that doesn't make a lick of sense, the BEM magic point, and you don't immediately go back to first principles and think, wait, no, look, this has turned up a ridiculous result. It's like if you did a calculation and said all cars are yellow. Yeah, it's impossible. You don't, Im- you, you, don't, you don't immediately have a press release that says all cars prove to be yellow, await coming book, we all live in a yellow submarine, question mark, lol, got you. Turns out it was a car the whole time, dickhead. You don't do that. I saw. And you especially don't trumpet it. It, there was an air of triumphalism yeah. about the idea. Yeah. Like, oh, could you, did you know Facebook's so bad, it's worse than the heroines. A part of me thinks that um, they were responding to the potatoes. And I do remember the way that it was tweeted. Remember the story about the potatoes? Oh. Well, guess what? It's not, it's not as bad as potatoes. It's worse than heroin. <laughs> that seems to be- uh, some of the motivation behind this. I mean, <laughs> considering how extreme it is, that, that that would be one of the explanations there. And like you said, this wasn't a thing that was buried in the supplementary materials. This was, mm. in the, in the mm. abstract, this was promoted by tweets. Chosen framing. Uh, chosen framing. Chosen framing. And on the back of this, I saw a, a poll that came out today, a poll, as if it's like a scientific. Um, Stuart Ritchie asked an interesting question, and he said, would, would we- wish." Would we be broad- have that scruffy little toss bag? <laughs> we should. Point. It'd be great. He asked, "Would we be broadly better off if scientists didn't do press releases about their new studies and papers?" And as of now, um, yes is at f- almost fifty percent. No is at thirty, and uh, and twenty percent <laughs> are unsure. And you know, I, th- this really made me think. And that I actually said, "Yeah, <laughs> like I think broadly speaking, we would be better off if um, if scientists didn't actually do press releases." And there was a lot of good responses to this. In that, just the way that the press works, there's just no room in the majority of press outlets. There's no room for nuance. That it's just it's an arms race to how much can you trump up the results. If you left it to the actual researcher to go, here is a well considered blog where I'm talking about the caveats. I'm talking about um, you know the how, how much we can generalize, generalize the results. That would be fine. But when it comes to the general environment of press releases, it's just oh, it's almost like how how far can we take the headline? To the point of we can sort of deny building. Oh, sub editor. Oh, I don't know. This is like every mm. single time, it's like oh, the sub editor. So, mm. James, press releases. Should we? Would we be better off without them? No. Okay. There's no. There's no equivalent vehicle for they. They. They have a place in the. It's like saying would we? Would we be better off without? Um. Would we be better off without bees or or, <laughs> or, 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 or mice? It's, it's one, of, one of those things you go, oh, it's, 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 it's dangerous and unpleasant and it forms a valuable point within the ecosystem. Um, so much of how something is communicated happens through the vehicle, the medium of a press release. And if you want to kill interest in science more broadly, if you never want it to be reported, if you want it to be walled off and only accessible to people who discuss it on the basis of, I'm capable of reading the paper myself, which is a small subset even of people who uh, do science journalism and science communication. 
you're taking away the system by which that information is organized. Um, you're taking away the basis of insight from which people who know what they're talking about can make good decisions about how to read the paper and what to do next. Um, I have no confidence that destroy the press release. And I can understand it, especially right now, where someone would be particularly annoyed with the fucking things. Um, it's, it, you know, this is, I too having an emotional reaction to the idea of press releases within science right now. There's many of them that I would like to beat with a piece of rebar. But, like, you can't just go, well, cancel the fucking lot. Well, it all comes down to not everything. If you, if, if you never want a major mainstream newspaper to have a science section ever again, by all means, cancel press releases. And here's the other thing. Like, you need to understand that the vast majority of them uh, exist within an ecosystem where like, lots of specialty publications and shit like that catch up with them after the fact. But go and read a day's worth of Eureka Alert press releases and you'll realize that the actual problematic ones where everything goes completely to shit are a very small minority. You've just never read the like the bread and butter of all of them. Mm. High energy physics lab manages to get leapt on to wear small hat. <laughs> Material science laboratory suddenly discovers way to make particular type of carbon nanotube tap dance the fucking fandango. On and on it will go. And a lot of it is important to someone somewhere. Mm. But if you kill that, especially when you consider the fact that journalists already have access to the press releases and they don't have access to the actual scientific articles themselves, and then they have no way to identify the discussed stories with which they may be interested in pursuing further. I don't think it's the way. Although I completely sympathize with everyone having the shits mm. with mm. them right yeah. now. I mean, it's a, it's a very understandable time for you to have the shits with them. And I totally support your right to have the shits. If I did not imagine the hypocrisy, I got a I got an interesting coda for you, okay. Dan. If you think that there is any interrelationship between, I think it's just is it teenage girls? Teenage girls. Is it just teenage girls? Not boys, just girls. If if you think that social media is somehow worse than heroin. For teenage girls, I defy you to take away your child's Instagram and give them heroin. There you go. Feel free. Feel free to try that out. And I'm not even talking from a like child protective services aspect of this bullshit. Can you imagine what I've just said is ludicrous? It's a monstrous idea. Oh, you better give up your special little lightning box there, Cindy. Have some drugs. It's better for you. It'll work out better in the That's end. That's essentially what the press release says. Well, I mean, it might it might say, well, it's also, it's not really a statement on equivalence. It's that one thing is higher than the other. I don't know if even it's the statement of any of those <laughs> is significantly different from zero. Yeah? But if you're going to discuss those in terms of competing harms... Then yeah, the change the Facebook terms of service so you can't sign up until you're 19, and then free oxycodone and disposable needles for all children. I mean, it's it sounds like something from a particularly dystopian science fiction film. 
The idea that you choose to put ideas into that format should utterly invalidate everything you've said and should have you marked down as a goon. On that note, we're going to finish up for this episode. Thanks for listening. We're going to be back again soon with some with some more hurts. Um, and uh, yeah, when I when I cheer up and dance, child starts cheap sleeping sweet. through the night. It's going to be great. <laughs> See you later. Bye.